So good morning. Good morning and uh, welcome to First Fridays for October uh, 2018. So welcome to everybody who is here. We have a small group this morning with the, uh, the rain out, so you can move forward if you feel like it. And, uh, but um, I'm so glad each of you guys are here. Um, and uh, in the idea of First Fridays um, is just kind of to be a monthly gathering of Christian healthcare providers and staff and students to kind of connect and uh, create some community and uh, a learning environment uh, for us um, to connect and enable us to better do the work that God has called us to do. Um, and we've been blessed in recent months to have different speakers um, from uh, a team last month on uh, MAT and the opioid crisis and uh, uh, gentleman Stan Sanu on pediatric adverse childhood events, um, uh, Greg Lee on mass incarceration. So kind of more of a lecture format, but today um, I wanted to kind of do uh, a format that would help us connect a little bit better. And so it's nice that we have a small group on this rainy morning, um, which is fine because uh, what I want to do today is just do a little uh, devotional um, for part of the time and then um, give us a time to connect um, over prayer and uh, just uh, uh, fellowship together. So I hope you guys are enjoying the muffins and coffee. And uh, let's uh, begin with the word of prayer. All right. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you so much uh, for this day. Lord, uh, thank you for your love for us. We could not do this uh, without you, Lord. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning and your faithfulness uh, for giving us a reason uh, to get up each and every day for purpose, for our hope that is in you, our living hope, and for your great love. We pray that uh, our eyes and our hearts uh, would be turned towards you throughout this day, and we thank you for this moment just to, to turn our eyes towards you as well. And so just bless our time together. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So as healthcare providers, right, we have uh, an incredible opportunity and privilege to interact with people, um, our patients, in the midst of, uh, of their pain and in the midst of their suffering, and uh, oftentimes in just many of the more mundane struggles of life. And we each have a story to tell um, uh, that God is, you know, working in our lives, something maybe from our past that he's already worked or is currently working in our lives, something that we can uh, tell and share uh, with others, uh, tell of his love uh, and his faithfulness, his grace uh, and his mercy uh, as we come through those struggles. And one of the, the key verses um, that I've been dwelling on uh, recently is John 1.14. And uh, I found that that's a very rich verse to kind of dig into, and so we're going to dig into that um, today because I think its implications are pretty significant and they're challenging as well. Um, one of my other uh, verses that's on my mind a lot is First uh, John two six, uh, which says, "Whoever claims to live in Him, Jesus, must live as Jesus did, or walked as Jesus walked." And so that's a challenge to us, right, as Christians. Um, one of the great things, though, is that God gives us some challenges like that, but he doesn't leave us there. He does not call us to anything to which he doesn't enable us. So let's, uh, let me read the verse, John 1.14. It says, and, and this will be familiar to a lot of you guys, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The Net Bible 
translates it a little bit differently, and it says, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. So looking at the kind of that central uh, part of the verse first, um, dwelt among us. And so at Lawndale, we just uh, recently had our uh, care team devotional around uh, the three R's, and so that, that center of that verse is very familiar to us, looking at um, Christ coming incarnationally and dwelling among us. And so um, the, the um, care team devotional was centered around the relocation R of the three R's of John Perkins' Christian community development. The message translates the verse, the word Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So Jesus relocated, right, to be with us. And so he modeled being purposefully proximate with us, uh, with those he loved, with his creation. Um, in the Greek, it says um, that he tabernacled with us. So um, it's kind of an image of that Old Testament of God being with his people. Um, and so he did this, you know, coming to us in our lostness, in our pain, and in our sinfulness. And so why would Jesus do that? Of course, it's because he loved us and because we needed him. Um, so, but for the rest of the devotional, I kind of wanted to look at those two ends because at Lawndale, we kind of focus on the center a lot. So looking at the beginning and at the end. So the beginning, the word. So who is the word? It's Jesus, of course, right? John 1.14 uh, reflects back on John 1, 1 to 5. And if you have your Bibles, you can pull, pull that up. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that first phrase, the word is Christ. Putting that together with the next phrase, the word became flesh. So the word became flesh for us. So John 1.1 1, 1 makes it clear that the word logos was fully God, but John 1.14 makes it clear that he was also fully human. Uh, the docetics, um, I don't know if you remember from philosophy class or anything, but docetism was the belief that Jesus only seemed to be human and that his human form was really an illusion. So um, a docetic interpretation there would be completely ruled out. So the incarnation of Jesus right is always a wow. The transcendent, transcendent God breaking into uh, history as a baby, really born in humble circumstances. And the interesting part is that Jesus wanted to know us, you know, his creation, not just in a spiritual sense, but in the fullness of spirit and body, and wanted to reveal himself to us in, in that way. Um, a guy by the name of Warren Wearsby, um, he's a commentator and a pastor who I really like, comments on this passage. Just as our words reveal our mind and heart, so Christ reveals the mind and heart of God to men. John 14, 9 says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In Genesis 1, of course, God created everything according to his word. And Colossians 1, 16 indicates that the word was Christ. So while God could be known in part through nature and history, he is known in full through his son, Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So the Bible is God's written word to us, and Christ is the living incarnate word of God. Um, 
but as I was thinking about this verse, um, I was kind of breaking it down. So we got the word, the word became flesh, and now uh, focusing on the part of became flesh. Um, flesh is obviously the body. Um, so over history, I think mankind has wrestled with questions such as, is the flesh good, you know, or is it bad? Um, uh, there's a philosophy that was started way back called Gnosticism, and kind of that's coming through today in different philosophies as well too, but the general gist is that all matter is evil and that the spirit world is, is good. Um, so for us in healthcare, how does that relate? It's kind of an important part of what patients come to us for, for care of the body, right? Um, so is the body nothing more than just kind of a biological machine um, that kind of houses our true self or our spirit and uh, will be discarded someday? Or is there something more to the body, uh, kind of in an integrated sort of way? So I think this verse and thinking about that kind of helps us think through that. So thinking about then asking the question is, what is the significance of Jesus becoming flesh? The word Jesus became flesh. So Jesus created us and came to us in the flesh, right? And surely that gives some validation to the point that flesh is good. Um, Genesis tells us that it was originally good, that God created the world and he blessed it and call it, uh, called it good. He designed it to be good. Surely, yes, it's marred by sin and in need of restoration and redemption and renewal, but basically it's good. And that incarnation of Jesus was genuinely physical and its implications extend throughout the New Testament. So I'm gonna go through some verses that I pulled out related to this. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus' resurrection body was also physical. Um, so after the resurrection, Luke, uh, in Luke 24.39, uh, describes uh, Jesus appearing to his disciples and he said, Look, see here my hands and my feet. Uh, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. And then he also took something to eat, right? To prove that his resurrection was not just spirit, but there was a, a bodily, physical resurrection. Um, and then at the resurrection, it was interesting how um, the angels that appeared in Acts 1, 10 to 11, um, as the disciples were looking into the sky, um, appeared and says, and Acts 1 says, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and says, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And uh, then, of course, Revelation tells us about a new heaven and a new earth, and that's also um, from Isaiah and, and 1 Corinthians as well, too. In Job 19, Job the prophet says, in my flesh I will see God. Uh, so it's just interesting how that's woven in there throughout uh, the story of the Bible. So in thinking about the entire story, Jesus, I think, really affirms the body there. The biblical worldview sees the body as, as a good gift from our creator uh, to be accepted with gratitude. Um, and there's also a stewardship responsibility with our bodies as well, right? Um, C.S. Lewis stated, God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. He likes matter. He invented it. Um, in our world of CCHF and medicine, um, we often talk about uh, this idea of whole person care and uh, taking care of the patient holistically, kind of the physical, the mental, the spiritual, the emotional and social. And we see as providers 
how those interact and affect each other all the time, how the uh, emotional affects the physical and the physical affects uh, emotional and spiritual affects all, uh, you know, the, the physical as well too. And so um, there's this integrated thing that we see each and every day. Um, so the biblical worldview around this, I think, is very holistic. We're integrated body and soul. Uh, we have a whole body and a whole soul. It's not 50-50. It's like 100%, 100% 100%, without one part being bad and one part being good. So I've been thinking about this kind of concept of, you know, the image of God and then how it's really integrated. So integrated body and soul image of God that we're created in. Um, and, you know, Genesis talks about in the Bible about the dignity of each human being, the worth of the human being, and the purpose of the human being. And I see that really, I'm thinking about that as really an integrated body and soul and the image of God um, that's... Uh, has that dignity and worth and, and purpose. It's kind of all together. Um, so where do we kind of even see this a little bit more in scripture, this concept of human integrity and, and wholeness, um, our minds, emotions, and physical bodies? Um, certainly when God gives us the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, it's, it's all together. Um, Here's some other scriptures where the authors um, identify body and soul and kind of portray them as two sides of the same coin. Psalm 63 says, 63.1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 32.3 says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. So kind of talking about the physical impact of sin. Proverbs 4, 21 and 22 says, do not let them, meaning words of wisdom, out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. So kind of words of wisdom and these things affecting the health um, of, of the whole body. And uh, here's a few other verses that kind of help make the arguments that the body's not external to the true self and that what we do with our bodies matters. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And Romans 6, 13, it says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Um, unfortunately, I think these views from um, the scripture around the body and who we are as integrated bodies, souls, and the image of God um, are making less and less sense to the world around us. Um, so I've been reading a little bit or trying to read a little bit more on that subject and pick up uh, this book um, by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. And I'm just kind of digging into it, but uh, you can pretty quickly in the introduction kind of get the, the main gist of this um, is she tries to dig in and delve into and define um, kind of what she sees as a, as a modern kind of mind-body dualism where they're kind of separating out those two things. Um, and so this next section here um, is, is, a, is a little bit, I'm gonna dig into kind of some of the stuff that she's talking about. Um, so certainly in um, some modern theories in philosophy, kind of more kind of where there's a pure materialistic, naturalistic, unguided, um, you know, uh, 
blind, undirected forces developing, you know, people, you know, so there's really not a whole lot of purpose to that. And that results in kind of humans having no kind of intrinsic, um, unique, God-given dignity or, or purpose. And uh, so we now see things happening. And I was just reading something earlier this week um, about uh, the federal government uh, clamping down on some of the sale of, of fetal body parts. Um, and so, you know, uh, the body is essentially, in that case, kind of being devalued, or at least the fetal body. Um, so whatever pragmatic benefits that we can get from it. So the fetus then is just a, um, a piece of matter which can be sold for research experiments and then tossed out with basically the rest of the other medical garbage. Um, so it's easy to get from there to a place where there's this kind of modern dualism going on where you have the body kind of as this machine and that there's something else, you know, that might be called the authentic self. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you can kind of treat the body just as, uh, as something machinery and not valued um, when it's convenient. Um, so what we see is this, yeah, again, this modern materialist view of the body where the body is kind of a collection of physical symptoms or systems like organs and uh, cells and bones, um, and that the real person or self um, is outside of that. And uh, one's own kind of thoughts and feelings about who they are um, is, is separate from that. And where that leads, and she talks about this in the book, it leads to an assumption that the body gives no clue um, to our identity and no guidance to things like what our sexual choices should be. It leads to kind of, I am not my body ends, where one can say that I'm not, that I'm trapped in the wrong body. Or it's very related to, you know, even Roe versus Wade. When you have that body's person split, you can get to a state where the organism begins at fertilization, but yet the person or the life of the person somehow begins sometime later. Um, in the writings around Roe versus Wade, Justice Harry Blackman actually really established kind of this personhood theory viewpoint as law of the land when he asserted that the unborn baby is not a person, stating that the word person used in the 14th Amendment does not include the unborn. Um, but with the Christian argument, I really think that, you know, it, there's a good argument for scripture that we are holistic embodied uh, persons, that every human person um, is, every person, human is also a person, not excluding a fetus. Um, everything um, that is intrinsic to a human being is present from fertilization and is a continuum of, of development of that baby. There's no point at which something, you know, dramatically changes. So we're integrated bodies and souls formed in the image of God, validated by his word, which is given to us, and by the living incarnate word of Jesus becoming flesh for us. So um, if you guys are interested in reading more, um, I'm going to be continuing to read through this book, but it's uh, Love Thy Body by Nancy uh, Piercy. Um, so that's the kind of the front end of this verse. The last half of this verse, I think, is equally um, powerful. It's, uh, it says, Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. Um, so full of grace and truth, it's another one of those things where I, you know, think mathematically, and it's like, it's not one of those things that's 50-50 grace and, you know, truth, but 100% grace and 100% truth. And so back to that verse, John, 1 John 2, 6, which says, um, whoever claims to um, uh, live in him must live or walk as Jesus walked. So how should that play out in our thinking and actions? You know, I think that if we 
then if Jesus is 100 to 100, if we fail on uh, grace, we fail to be tr uh, Christ-like, and if we fail on truth, we fail to be Christ-like. So Jesus really demonstrated um, really well, kind of a, the perfect combination of both of those. And one of the, the, my favorite passages that I think about is the woman who was caught in, in adultery, and this is a um, passage that's probably very familiar to you, but uh, um, when Jesus drew the line in the sand and uh, um, says, you know, he who is without sin to throw the first stone, no one threw the first stone, and Jesus asked the woman, who, who is it who has condemned you? And she says, no one. And he says, you know, well, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. So kind of this real combination of grace and, and truth. And so, but getting out of balance with those can be problematic because I think they're both, um, as in Jesus, they're both essential and they're both inseparable. Um, kind of around spiritual things, I think truth without grace breeds illegalism and grace without truth or a softening of the gospel can breed moral indifference and, uh, and keep people from seeing their need for Christ. So Jesus really demonstrated in his actions and in who he was um, that uh, grace and truth need to be uh, together. And so some were drawn to him because of that and some were offended by that. And so um, we shouldn't be surprised that uh, the same might be true for us. Um, so what is, is grace? Um, and when I, you know, another little book that I read years ago that I would recommend um, is Randy Alcorn. Um, it's just a little uh, book called Grace and Truth Paradox, and you can read it uh, just in a, in a quick day. But I think uh, it's got a lot of uh, uh, really important thinking uh, around this. Um, and uh, grace, obviously, you know, when we think about grace, it's amazing, right? Um, and uh, we think of the song Amazing Grace and uh, the guy who wrote that song. Um, and I'm just floored every time I, I, I read his story about um, uh, uh, you know, being a traitor of a, a slave ship and uh, how God, he talks about God redeeming him. And uh, the second line, he talks about him being a, a wretch. And, uh, and modern story tries to change the words in that song, but the condition that God saved us and saved him out of was that we were we were sinful, and so grace is so amazing because the problem was so so difficult, um, and and grace just keeps on giving. That's another thing that um, you know in Christ that uh, um, uh, grace continues to work in our lives. Charles Spurgeon said, "Our Lord Jesus is ever giving, and does not for a solitary instant withdraw His hand. The rain of His grace is always dropping." The river of his bounty is ever flowing, and the wellspring of his love is constantly overflowing. As the king can never die, so his grace can never fail. Um, and on this rainy morning, it's a good kind of image to, you know, to think of God's grace as continuing to, to kind of reign over us, um, past, um, present, and, and future. Um, so then, you know, that's grace. What is truth? Um, is it inside us or is it outside of us? Is it changeable or unchangeable? Something that doesn't sway. Um, the Christian worldview would say that it's outside of us, that it's something that's there that we can believe or not, but cannot sway. Um, part of that truth is that all sinners are in need of redemption, in need of Jesus, right, as a savior. Um, and Jesus is also our example of how truth should be handled. And uh, Paul gives us guidance in Ephesians 4.15, which says Christians that as Christians, we are to speak uh, the truth in love. 
So how do we do this? Sometimes as, as providers, that uh, can be uh, challenging. Um, so there's time when we have to deliver truth in, in the exam room. Um, and uh, it's, it's a blessing to be here at Lawndale, to be in primary care and to be here so long as, as a pediatrician, because I've been able to kind of develop a relationship with these patients over, over time. And, uh, and that really helps, at least it helps me um, to uh, see this child. And I ha have a lot of kids that have grown up with me from you know, little babies all the way to teenagers. So even yesterday I saw a couple of them. And, uh, um, and when you have to talk to them um, about things that, that might be difficult, um, I, I think there's a real moment there of kind of relationship and, and building up of, of real care um, that I can say to them, not only shouldn't you do this, but you know, I really, wow, I, I knew you from when you were a little kid and I really care about you and you're making some bad choices. Um, if you continue to go to the wrong place at the wrong time and hang around with these wrong kids, I've gone, I've gone to too many funerals. Or if you're continuing to do this particular behavior, um, whether it's multiple sexual partners or whatever, you know, it's going to lead to some bad consequences. And you know, I care about you. I don't want you to, to do that. You need to make you know some changes. And so, um, certainly, we don't have to um, know. Um, you know, our patients that long to, to really love them and, and kind of speak truth and, and love and, and care for them. And, um, but it, it surely helps, it helps me anyway. And, uh, and I was just also thinking about, um, you know, usually our love for others and for one another is just kind of an inkling of God's love for us, you know. And so I was reflecting back on the verses like in, in Jeremiah and Isaiah where it talks about God, you know, that he knew us and knew Jeremiah before he was formed in his mother's womb, and that God, you know, knows us from even before we were an idea, from in our womb, and then to, um, you know, our whole life. And so, as we love those who we're most closely to and know and love our patients who we've been, you know, seeing for a long time, God loves us, you know, even even more. And so, um, in the context, any time of, uh, you know, sharing, you know, truth, and it's kind of like I think, you know, speaking the truth in love is something that. Uh, um, that we can really learn um, from Christ's example. So grace and truth is what we need from God. Uh, we need his continuing, ongoing love and faithfulness. Um, it's what he revealed to us in Christ, you know, that 100% and 100%. Um, and that's what our patients need as well, too.